that. If you got your Bible this morning, open up to First Timothy chapter two. Uh, we're we're kind of coming to the end, and I hope you've gotten something out of this uh, series talking about the tabernacle. It's done me good to 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 study it, and uh, I, I'll say this: if you're if you're going to be a, a Christian and really get the most out of the New Testament, you need to be familiar with the Old Testament. And you need to understand the patterns and the stuff that God set in the Old Testament. Because it really points us to redemption. It points us to what God did. So I'm going to show you just a real quick three and a half minute video. I'm going to kind of narrate the video. And it's just going to kind of give you a visual to walk you through the tabernacle. Until we get to today. We're looking at really the last piece of furniture in the tabernacle. And uh, the, the overarching theme of this whole passage I mean this whole series what I've been wanting you to get across is that you are a what come on everybody say I is a priest (laughs) that's exactly right and uh, I've tried to convey to you that you're a priest not because of the clothes that you wear because of a piece of paper a denomination God told Moses he says I want a kingdom of priests I want a kingdom of people. He says uh, that what made the Hebrews different is they served the invisible God. But the invisible God, he wasn't a cow. He, was, uh, he, he actually lived and dwelt among them. And he, he helped them fight battles. And he made them the head and not the tail. Above only and not beneath. He, he, made, uh, he, he, he went before them. He gave them a cloud by day and fire by night. He rained manna down from heaven. Whenever the other nations saw the nation of Israel, they knew that they served a peculiar awesome God and and God he told Moses he says I want a kingdom of priests but they messed it up so then God said well I can't have a kingdom of priests so I just want the Levites to be my priests but in the New Testament what what they messed up in the Old Testament Jesus fixed in the New Testament so I want to give you this scripture again first Peter chapter 2 verse number 9 they're going to put it up on the screen behind me it's in your worship guide it says you are Not going to be, not can be, not when you get to heaven. You are right now. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. That's your hood. We all from the hood. We all live in the hood. I thought about naming the whole series, Boys in the Hood. (laughs) But I thought, well, we got girls. But we are, boys in the hood is, is what we are. But we are a royal priesthood. And I could stay here for another hour, but I don't have time. We're a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. We're God's special possession. So that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness. Into his wonderful light. How many of y'all found him to be wonderful? Come on. Not every life ain't always easy, but he's wonderful. He's called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You were once not a people, but now you are a people. You once had not received mercy, but now... You have received mercy. So every person in here, you are a priest. And all a priest is, is just somebody that could come right into God's presence. You don't have to use anybody. don't have to go in through anybody. Because of the blood of Jesus, He put His blood on the mercy seat and made you a priest. And that's what God wanted. He says, I want a kingdom of priests. So in the New Testament, whenever Jesus died on the cross, I mean, y'all remember if you've seen Passion of the Cross or you've used your, your own uh, imagination and you read the Word of God as Jesus was hanging there and, and, and his, his beats of his heart are getting lower 
and lower and slower and slower until it gets to a point, if you've ever watched somebody that's terminal, that they, the, their heart may only beat every 10 seconds, you know. And Jesus gets to a point to where he dies. He, he says, it is finished. He dies and the whole, the earth begins to shake. Yes. Come on, how many of y'all think? Yes. Sometimes we, we, don't, we don't let our mind go enough. But you can imagine as he dies, the whole earth shakes. And then the Bible says that there's the veil in the temple was ripped in two. And I want to show you that. We want to look at that this morning and see what that did for us. So Christian, if you've got that, that video, it's about three minutes. And I, I'm just going to kind of narrate so that. All right. So we spent one whole day, Sunday and we talked about the white wall. And uh, pause it real quick, Christian. They would camp all the way around the outside of this tabernacle and uh, God said first thing I want you to put up a white wall and that teaches everybody that's looking on the outside in what type of God I am how many y'all know we serve a holy God all right hit play Christian go ahead and uh, ne the next thing they're going to show you is that there's only one way into God's presence how many y'all know we spent a Sunday talked about there's only one way into God's presence Jesus he said I am the gate you can hit play Christian it's fine so the way that we get into God's presence, you've got to come through the gate. We come through Jesus. The first thing that you see whenever you came into the tabernacle was this brazen altar. And that's where they would tie the animals to the altar. They would kill the animal and they would burn the animal. The, 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 the altar of sacrifice. And that points us to when Jesus was tied to the cross. He was the lamb that was, that was killed for us. And he burned. He went to hell, right? Even though once he got down there, there was a rude awakening, right? The spoiled principalities made a show of them openly. He he triumphed over them and he ain't dead, right? But, he, but, but that's what pointed, uh, that, that's what that shows to us. And the, the, the blood that shed there is Jesus' blood that was shed for us. Then the next piece of furniture that you would go to would be where they would wash. And for us, that's baptism. So we all come through the gate of Jesus and we recognize that he died on a cross. He was tied up and burned and, and went to hell for us. And it was stinky, right? And then the next thing is, is the baptism. And we all understand that after we come to the cross, then we come into baptism. Baptism is a one-time thing, but also they would daily, they would wash the grime and the dirt of life off of them. How I many of y'all know you get stinky every day? You got to go to the Word of God and wash some of that funkiness off. And then after they wash, then they come into the first room. And this is, they're coming out of the outer court into the inner court. This is called the holy place. We spent a Sunday and talked about the candlestick. That there's one main tube. They would fill that tube up with oil and it would give light to the other branches. Jesus says, I am the, I am the vine. You are the branches. The same life that's in me is in you. And we, we know that that's the, the picture of the Holy Spirit. And I spent one whole Sunday just uh, talking about the fact that God wants us, the, the, the job of the priest was to keep the, the lamp full of oil. How I many of y'all know we need to stay full of oil? Yes. And the other job is they had to keep the, the, the wicks trimmed. And there's certain parts of your life you've got to keep trimmed back if you're going to burn right. If you're going to put off a steady gaze, there's certain you need to be full of the Holy Spirit and you need to keep some things trimmed back and then you'll be the light. And uh, 
the, the other part, my wife did such a good job last week talking about the communion table, the table of showbread. And that's where Jesus, in the New Testament, he, he said, this is my body that was broken for you. This is the cup. And he wants to dine with us. Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anybody will open the door, I'll come in and I'll dine with him and he with me. And then after the showbread was the table or, or was the altar of incense. And the altar of incense, the job of the priest was just to keep putting incense on that fire and that fire made a smoke and the whole point of that Sunday was just to let you know you control the atmosphere as the priest of your home you control the atmosphere as a priest on your job you control the atmosphere as a priest over your kids your job is to control the atmosphere everywhere you go you control you control the temperature, right? You, you bring in peace and hope and faith and love, and gentleness, kindness. That, that's who you are. That's what you as a priest, what you're supposed to do. But now we're going to go through the last, the last veil. We're going to look at this morning the third room. The third room or the third stage. And in that room is what's called the, this room's called the Holy of Holies. And it's carried in there is the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant really had three parts. It was a box. Had a lid on it called the mercy seat. And that's where they would put blood on the mercy seat. And then it had poles that you would carry the ark. And the ark was God's presence. And I want you to know this morning that God wants you to carry his presence. He wants you to carry it. He wants you to, to carry his presence. One of the aspects of. You can pause it right there. Uh, one of the aspects of us as a priest. Is, is every time that, the, that God's people would, would move somewhere. It was the job of the priest to set up and tear down the tabernacle. And your job, my job, is we set up meeting places between God and people. And we introduce people to God. And this is what he, this is what he used in the Old Testament. Is he wanted to show people. He says, listen, he says, I'm different than the Egyptian gods. There's only one way in. And you've got to come through blood. And there's a sacrifice. And there's a washing. And, and there's things as a priest that you need to do. And you need to maintain. And, and, and I want to look at now the third and the final piece I want to look at the Ark of the Covenant listen on any one of these Sundays we could have spent a year I mean there's people that have devoted their life just to the candlestick literally like for 30 years they've been studying the candlestick my assignment though as a pastor every day was God what, what do you want them to get today and on one particular day, it's you control the atmosphere. You set up meeting places between God and him. God wants to dine. He wants to commune with you. And I tried to give you one thing every week. So the thing that I want you to come away with this week is that, uh, uh, and it's in your worship guide. You can write it down. He must increase. And I must decrease. As you get closer to God, and I'll show you this this morning. It becomes more about him and less about you. It becomes more about him and less about people. And uh, we as people, he must increase and we must decrease. So I want Christian, if you'll put up, because could, we could look at the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat and what did the cherubim mean when there were angels touching and inside the Ark of the Covenant is the Ten Commandments and the rod of Aaron which would bud and manna and we could look at all of that stuff and I know, man, it would, be, it would be great. We could do that for the next five years looking at all that. But, but the main thing I want you to get this morning is, uh, is this last phase is as you get closer to God, He, he increases and you 
decrease. But put the picture up of the whole, the, just the picture of the whole tabernacle. The other, there you go, right there. And uh, in your worship, God, there's, there's three things. That there's, there's this aspect of three I want to look at. The first one's the three lights. And I, uh, and I shared some of this with you already. In the first, in the outer court, where the altar and the water is, everybody used natural light. And that just means everybody could see by the light of the sun. And this is where a lot of Christians live. They stay in the outer court and they see things the way everybody sees things. Right? They live their life the way everybody else lives their life. Right? I mean, they talk like the other people on their job. You really wouldn't know that they're a Christian, uh, and, you know, because they, they see things naturally. But, but how many of y'all know God doesn't want us just to see through natural light? He wants us to take a step and he wants us to come into the, the, the inner court. And in the inner court, you come out of the sunlight and now you come into candlelight. And it's a different type of light. God wants you to start living by revelation and not just living naturally. He wants you to come out of natural light and start living by the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God revealing things to you. So you raise your kids different than other people raise your kids. They don't go spend the night everywhere. Why? Because I got revelation, something ain't right there, or they're not old enough, or something. There's just a different light to live by. But, but even beyond that light is whenever you come into the Holy of Holings where the Ark of the Covenant is, there was divine light. In other words, there's no candles in there. In other words, if there was no Ark of the Covenant in there, it would be pitch black. But because of the Ark of the Covenant is in there, there, there was light in that room, but it was God himself. You walked in and it was divine. It was really called Shekinah glory or it was the glory of of God. If you remember in the Old Testament, Moses came to a bush that was on fire, but it was not burning. It was not consumed. And what was, how was a, a bush on fire? And it was literally God in that bush. And God said, Moses, I've got an assignment. I've got a job for you. You're going to go and you're going to do this. If you remember whenever God stepped out and he's on the day, it says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he said, light be boom. And it was light. But God didn't create the sun until the fourth day. Well, if he created the sun on the fourth day, what was the light on the first day? The first day was the light of him. Him showing up in darkness, boom, I'm here. And he brought order into chaos, right? So, but two different lights. The Bible tells us in Revelations that whenever we get to heaven, there is no sun in heaven. It's the light of God that illuminates heaven. And he's an all-consuming fire, an all-consuming light. It even says that there's no shadows in heaven, right? We're surrounded by shadows. You get to heaven, there are no shadows because he's an all-encompassing encompassing glorious light and whenever you walked into the ark of the covenant between those two angels there was light and it's where God met with people so God wants to take us from natural light into living by revelation but there should be some times in your life where it's just all God it's just all him and he just illuminates and it's his glory. God told, Moses told God, he said, God, show me your glory. And God said, I'm going to put you in a rock and I'm going to let my glory pass by you. Whenever Moses would go up on the mountain, he would come down and glow. When Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration, he came down glowing. Well, what is that? He just came in contact with a different element 
of God. D- d- different lights. So, so three lights, but then not just three lights. Is, is uh, I, know, I lost my stuff. The, we're, I want to show you the three rooms. So in your worship guide, you just write on three lights. You, you write revelation, divine light, and natural light. Then we took a little bit of time and talked about the, the, the three rooms. I call them rooms. Really, the, the front yard is, is where most Christians live. Most Christians get saved and they recognize I need the cross and I need to be baptized. But they just live in the front yard for the rest of their Christianity. But God doesn't want you to live in the front yard and smell the burning flesh and stay out there eating turkey legs and funnel cakes. There's a different meal that he's prepared for you. Then it's a, it's a candlelit meal and you sit down and there's bread that's been prepared that took hours to prepare. And there's wine that took years to, to, to ferment and press that there's a little more that goes into that room. So he wants to take you from the front yard to the house. And once you get in the house, you just see and you eat and it smells different. It's just different. But how many of y'all know in any house there, there's, there's called the bedroom? How many of y'all know don't everybody go in the bedroom? When everybody going to you come over to my house, you can go a lot of rooms. You ain't going to my bedroom. Why? Well, there's a lot of reasons why. You know, the bedroom's my bedroom, right? It's my wife's bedroom. That's our bedroom. And, uh, you know, there, there may be some underwear on the floor. I'm just saying that, 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 that it's possible that there's some things in there. How many of y'all know God, God wants, he, he wants to, for you to be exposed to all of him and for him to be exposed to all of you. Nothing hidden. That's why there's a third room that you go into the Ark of the Covenant. And that's a room of, of, of more uh, intimacy. For, for my bedroom, right, it's, it's a room of intimacy of good times and bad times, right? It's good times. Me and my wife, that's our bedroom. That's where we go but, uh, for good times. Hey, but also uh, for, for not good times. Have you ever, uh, uh, you got company over and you need to fight. Where are you going to go? Can I see you a minute in the bedroom? How many of y'all know exactly what that is? You go in the bedroom. You close. Well, now we have to have them over for dinner. And I can't, I can't believe you said that. I can't believe. And you have it out in the bedroom. And then you come out the bedroom and act like what? Nothing happening in that bedroom. It's just a bedroom. Ain't nothing happening in there. And then you just, the rest of the night, you're just kicking each other, right? You're looking at each other, right? So there's good stuff and bad stuff. The point is that there's a bedroom and that there's a place. And I believe God, he wants to, he's just always, I, I mentioned, I, I shared this on Thursday night. God always in the, in the, in, if you read the Bible, he would tell people, he would say, come up higher. Come up higher. Don't stay at the base of the mountain. Come up higher. He told Ezekiel, he said, come out deeper. Don't just stay ankle deep or knee deep or waist deep. He said, there's, there's water that's deeper. God, Jesus would tell his disciples, he said, come closer. Come closer. And whenever they would get away, the multitudes would leave. And, and he would say, it's permitted to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom. Peter, James, and John, he said, it's permitted. Everybody else I talk to in parables. But to you, I, t- I show the mysteries of the kingdom. He says, you come on in to my bedroom. Come in. So, so, so in your worship guide, your bedroom, you just write intimacy. That you have the front yard, you have the house, you have the bedroom. The bedroom's for intimacy. It's for good times. And then there's other times where, where you, 
you can get to a place in God where you can talk strong to him. You, you ask him tough questions. God, I want to know. I need to know. I'm not leaving until you tell me, right? You, God, God wants to bring you to a place not where you're just out there always at the cross. Not, not the, but you always have to come through the cross. You always have to, uh, have to wash. How I many y'all know as Christians, we should just stay in the front yard eating funnel cakes. God wants us to come on in, come a little higher, come a little closer. So there's the three rooms and then there's the three classes. And I haven't talked about this one much, but, but this is where I want to look at one thing today. How many of you ever flown before? I just recently took a trip with Noble Burns. He's my 11-year-old. And, and you know, whenever you, whenever you book your ticket, you can either get economy class or you can get business class. You can get economy class or you can get what they call first class. I don't know how many of y'all flown first class, but how many of y'all know first class is different than economy class. Economy class, you're like this with people and the pillows don't have no case on them. They got other people's hair coming out the white pillow. They give you the black headphones with people's hair. You got to pull the hair out of the black headphones. Oh, it's gross in the old, old raggedy blanket that they give you come by throw peanuts at you hit your elbows with their little cart give you a little plastic cup here's your little plastic cup with your little ginger ale in it you got to swipe for the for the thing you want to watch a movie got to swipe your little card and the people there but you walk through business class on your way to your economy class and how many of y'all ever looked in there before Don't, like, don't judge. And as you're walking through business class, you're thinking, my, my. And now, I don't know if you've seen it, but we were just on the plane a, a, a few months back, me and Noble, and they have pods. Oh, yeah. It's like this little teardrop pod. You just lay in your pod with your own personal little TV. You don't need to bring in Dickie's Barbecue because they're going to have food you want to eat in, in the first class. Food you want to eat, your own little TV. Can I get you anything else, Mr. Burns? <laughs> Actually, you can. <laughs> I got a crick in my neck. <laughs> Business class, a little bit different than economy class. But how many of y'all know there's another room as you move to the front of the plane, you come to a different veil. You go through that veil, now you're in the cockpit. Totally different experience. From economy class to business class. But if you ever make it in the cockpit. Now you're in the control center. Right now you're in the place of power. Right. That's where that's the business end of that airplane. And whenever you get in there. Things are just different. Right. I mean that 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 pilot in there. He carries a weight. A responsibility. There's lives at stake. He's got to be about his business. Right? He's got to be on point. Got to be on task. That's why they lock that door. Nobody else comes in here. Because at that elevation, he's seeing things. He, he sees the world in a different way. He charts the course. He determines the altitude and navigating storms and got to go over this storm and got to go under that one. And he's got to see the, the runway and the lights and he's got to be instrument rated. 
Because whenever you come into darkness or whenever you come into situations, you better know how to read your instruments or you're going to go down and it's not just you. You're going to bring a bunch of people down with you. And God wants to bring us to a place where we're just not business class in our pod, but actually bring us into a place where you're in there with the pilot. And he says, now this, this, this is how things really work. And whenever you're up there, the, the things of this world, they grow strangely dim. And the, the, you, don't, the, the, you see things as just being minute and they, they don't matter as much whenever you don't get your parking spot. It don't matter as much. Because there's other things at stake. The word glory literally means, in the Old Testament, it means heavy. It means kabod. There's a weight about God. And I don't know if you've ever been in God's presence before where glory or where heavy walks in. When heavy walks in, it's kabod. It's heavy. In the Old Testament, the Bible says that they couldn't even stand to minister whenever the glory would come in. That they would fall out. Whenever they came up to Jesus. Whenever they are about to arrest him. And they said are you the Messiah? He said I am. And a whole legion. Come on somebody. A whole legion of soldiers. The Bible says that they fell as dead men. You could have brought a million people to arrest Jesus. And they wouldn't have been able to move one hair on top of his head. He says no man. No man takes my life. I lay it down. I give it up. He says, I am, woof, and whenever he said, I am, just a glimpse of the glory of God parted their hair. Man, there's so much about God, we never, we won't even, you'll never understand it until we get to the other side and you realize how heavy he is, how powerful he is. But but whenever whenever God wants you to, to get into the cockpit and carry some of that weight, Take on some of that burden. Burden, not, not just, you know, it's, it's not all about bass boats and four-wheelers. Whenever you get in the pilot seat, it's about, God, we got to get where you need to go. God, there's people that are on board. That, that if, if I don't get them there, they won't make it. And you start taking on that, that weight of God's glory. And, and the good thing about Him is He'll help you carry it. Right, he'll help you carry it. The last one I want to show you is is the three stages. Three stages of maturity. There's a level of maturity that's in the outer court of whenever you get saved. But you know the the apostle Paul, he had to get on to people sometimes. He would show up and he would say, "I wanted to I wanted to bring you meat, but I could only bring you milk." He said, I was carrying meat for you. I wanted to teach you some of these things that God has for you. But I can't feed you meat. I can only give you milk because you haven't matured to a place of eating meat. Well, God wants to take us. Put my little picture back up there, Dax. God wants to take us from a place of maturing. Where you go from the outer court into the inner court. But then ultimately where you just stand and, and there's... At times whenever you're in God's presence. In the Old Testament, only one time a year, the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies. One time a year. It's the only time that he could go in. So the priest, us as priests, uh, uh, we, would, we would take care of the, the altar and take care of the water and take care of the lampstand and take care of the showbread and take care of the incense. But one time a year, the high priest, he would take the blood of an animal and he would lift up 
that curtain. And he would literally crawl up under. You can imagine how heavy this thing weighed. It's huge. It's not like your drapes. right? It's like four different layers of beaver skin. I mean, it was very ornate. We could get into all the nuances of that. But he would crawl into that and he would go from the candlelight to the Shekinah glory. And in that presence, it was, it was different. And if he didn't cleanse himself correctly, they put bells on the hem of his robe so that they would hear the bells ringing. They knew that things were going well in there. Well meaning he's still alive. <laughs> and if he didn't cleanse himself correctly, the bells would stop ringing and he, he died. So they, they tied, he would have a rope tied to his leg and they would drag him out of the Ark of the Covenant, out of the Holy of Holies, and they would send the next guy in. I mean, I think he did a pretty good job preparing himself. He's like, oh, God. <laughs> Oh God, we get clean. Lord, if I'd done anything, I looked at that lady. I shouldn't have. Lord, Lord, what have I done? He get, getting clean. Because once a year, it's called Yom Kippur. It's the Day of Atonement. They would take the blood of an animal, go in there, and put it in between those two angels. And obtain, it would cover their sins for one year. And then the next year, he had to go back in there once a year. And then they had to keep doing this. And it would cover, just cover, didn't take away, but would cover their sins. Now back to our maturity. Because you got, you got, God doesn't just want you to stay there. He wants you to move forward. But in the outer court, man chopped the wood. Man killed the animal. Man raised the animal. Man brought the water. Man did all of this stuff in the service to God. In the inner court, it was God and man. God provided the fire for the candlestick, but man had to put the oil in there. Man had to trim the wicks. Man had to make the bread. Man had to make the wine. So God was working with man. But once they got into the Holy of Holies... Man didn't do nothing. It was all God. He just tried to stand there. What does that mean for us? That means as, as the closer we get to God, the less of us should be in it. I told you at the beginning, He must what? He must increase. We must decrease. So as we mature in God, the, the things of, of us, the, the, they, they don't matter as much. Because people, they say, well, I got blessed today. I got my parking spot. Or I got blessed today. Somebody gave me $50. Or I got a blessing today. And it's about them. But whenever you start getting really close into God, it's not, those really aren't your best blessings. Your best blessings are what money can't buy. Your best blessings and what you, what you fix your mind on is Him. Church becomes where you meet with Him and not where you meet with other people. Church becomes something you can't live without because that's one of your meeting places. I don't have to give my tithe and my offering. It's a privilege. I want to. How much more do you want? It becomes, you get, it, it becomes not about you. It's not just chopping wood and feeling it becomes about God. It, it's all about you. And I don't know. I think sometimes I've been to places and people think I, I may be rude. Because I'll go to like if I go to a conference or go to church or something. And, and I go sit by people and they want to talk to me. How many of you ever sat by somebody that won't shut up? In church. And, and, and they're just there for a different reason. 
And it, it's annoying. <laughs> Say it well, preacher. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like, it's like, you, it's like uh, I'm so glad you're here and I acknowledge you. But you can't talk to me the whole service because I'm not here to see you. I don't want to. I'm not here to see you. I'm here to eat from the table. Right. And, and not to be rude. Right. And like during worship and it's like and it just and you can't say nothing. Right. Because because we got to be good Christians. Right. But she says, oh, yes, you can. But you know exactly what I mean. It's like that there, there comes a point to where it's like, I'm glad everybody's here. But if he's not here, it don't mean nothing. Glad everybody showed up and came out today. And glad this is. But if, if he ain't in it. In the Old Testament. He is a pretty little boy. And uh, in, in the. In, oh gosh. I wish if I just had. Listen, 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 listen. Whenever the veil of the temple was ripped in half. There was nothing behind the veil. Which I don't know if you understand that. But, but in this veil, there was the, God's presence was there. But the Babylonians came and besieged the nation of Israel and took away the Ark of the Covenant. They still don't know where the Ark of the Covenant is. Have you ever seen Indiana Jones? They still looking. Right? Don't nobody know where the Ark of the Covenant is, right? It's still missing. Whenever, whenever Jesus died on the cross and the veil of the temple ripped in half, the, it opened up a room with nothing in it. In other words, they were having church, but God's presence wasn't there. <laughs> the, Herod had built this temple and they would sacrifice animals and they would sell doves and they'd make their money off of the church and they wore their fancy clothes but there was no presence in the temple. There was no ark there. And whenever the veil of the temple was ripped in half, Jesus was saying, now nothing separates you from my presence. Now you as a priest can come right into my presence, number one. Number two, he was showing their hypocrisy. That they had a church, but that had no glory. They had a church, but it had no presence. It had no power. It had nothing in it. And whenever the veil was ripped in half, there was no ark there. The ark had been gone for hundreds of years. It was taken by the Assyrians and the Babylonians. How many of y'all know as a church, God, my God, if we have a church where he's not in it. It don't matter how good the present, how good the lights are and all that type of stuff. Listen, uh, it don't matter how pretty we are, how big our hats are that we wear and how good our... Just, listen, if he ain't in it, it don't mean anything. We have to have him here. So whenever Jesus ripped, whenever the veil of the temple is ripped in half, it gives all of us equal access to the cockpit. And many people, they look at me and think, well, that I get to go in the cockpit because I'm a preacher. I don't get to go nowhere. You don't get to go. I don't care if, if you, what, what, whoever you are, you have the same access to the bedroom. You can see the, the light of God. You can go right into uh, the, the cockpit. And you, and you can go right into a place of maturity just like I can. He opened the floodgates and you can imagine historically many many priests that day got saved because once the veil of the temple was that it opened up the fact that we never had the presence of God in here in the first place and now God has opened it up to everybody everybody say I, I am, am a priest 
last two things, things I have to give you. This is the main, one of the main things I had to give you. Is uh, whenever I ask the Lord, I say, okay, okay, God, well, once they make it into your presence, this is the question. How do you get the most out of his presence? And how do you give the most in his presence? And let me just say this. It's not all about what you get out of it. It's about what God, once we're in your presence, since the veil has been ripped, how can we give you our best and how can we get our best from you? Two things, and these are the two things I want to give you today. And I only got five minutes left, but uh, number one is, is come hungry. If you show up hungry, that pleases him and it'll please you. There's a slogan, I don't know which commercial says, come hungry Leave happy. Who, anybody know which slogan that is? I know Arby's is, we have the meats. <laughs> Just, if y'all want some Arby's today. Uh, but somebody else has got one that's come hungry, leave happy. How many of y'all know that, that for me, whenever I cook, I like to cook for people that are hungry. If, I, if, if people ain't hungry at my house, I cook what I want and forget about y'all. Liver and onions. It's like I don't care. I wanted some. So y'all ain't never hungry, and y'all don't like anything that I cook. Let me just say this: as a pastor, well, whenever I, uh, uh, if if I, you pull out of me when you're hungry, yes. my mama cooks the best. Like I'm going a day early to my mother's this this week because I have some tenderloin off of some deer that I killed. Yes. So I'm showing up a day early that I'm supposed to be there just so mama can feed. This boy right here, some backstrap, right? And whenever my mama knows that a hungry boy's coming over, she prepares in such a way that a hungry boy's coming over, right? Listen, for you to show up at church, if I know that a hungry boy's coming over, it makes it so much easier. If we show up into God's presence as a hungry boy, if we'll come hungry, you'll get so much more out of your experiences in your quiet time, in your car, just the music that you put on and the, the stuff that you think about, you'll get so much more out of Him. You'll get way more out of this church if you come hungry than you will if you won't. And that's pleasing to Him. Jesus said, He says, If any man thirst, and He stood up on the day of Yom Kippur, He stood up on the day of atonement. This is before he died on the cross. He stood up and he said, and he hollered, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. The psalmist David, he says, As the deer panteth for water, so my soul longeth hard after thee. There's something about thirsting and hungering after God. I remember being in Bible college and I was coming out of, you know, just drugs, alcohol, party, and doing whatever I wanted to do. And uh, I remember I'd only been in Bible college maybe a couple of weeks. And the only reason I was really there is because I knew that I was going to die if I didn't. You know, basically in no uncertain terms, the Lord said, I've been protecting you way too long. If you don't make some adjustments, you're going to be dead. So I went to Bible college. I was like, well, I don't want to die. <laughs> so I surrendered my life to the Lord, went to Bible college. But I really wasn't wild about being there. But one, one day this lady named Tina Welch, and she was preaching it. She says, she said, start saying that you're hungry for God. Even if you aren't hungry for God, start saying, I'm hungry for God. And I've never forgot that. And that stuck with me. So about 10 or 20 times a day. I just remember. I would say. I'm hungry for God. 
And even though I really wasn't, I kind of wanted to be back at the club, right? There was parts of me that, that were still wrapped up. But, but she said, she says, your life will follow the direction of your mouth. So if you want to be hungry for God and you're not hungry for God, start saying, I'm hungry for God. So I don't know how many times I said, God, I'm hungry. I'm hungry for you. I'm hungry. And he made me hungry for him. And once I got hungry, then I found myself in his presence and he opened heaven. Right? Come hungry. The second thing is, is come humble. And I'll, I'll close with this last verse. If we'll come hungry, it's pleasing to him. But you have to come humble. You have to come humble. You can't come in full of pride. Oh, I know everything. I can tell you, you don't know diddly squat. You don't know nothing. I don't care how old you are. The older I get, I figure out the less that I know. And I think 80-year-olds feel the same way. In fact, I know some, and they'll tell you, the older I get, the less I know. Come on, and compared to, oh, I can't even get into it. The book of Isaiah, he said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple, and angels would go around the throne of God, and every time they made a revolution around God, they saw something about him they never saw before. And that's been going on for eternity. Can you imagine angels right now are circling the throne of God and they see something about him they've never seen before. And this has been going on for a very long time. So we have to come into his presence humbly. James chapter 4 verse 6, you could put this verse up there. It says, he gives more grace. I mean, I need more grace. You come into God's presence. You come into that cockpit of that bedroom. Say, God, I, I'm humble. I need more grace. God, I need grace as a parent, as a pastor. I need grace as a leader. God, give me grace. But next thing it says, God opposes the what? The proud. New King James says that God resists the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. First Peter chapter 5, verse 6, it says, Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty, heavy hand of God and he will exalt you in due season in other words if you'll come under the heavy say God you're heavy I'm I come under your hand he says I'll exalt you in due time there'll be a season there'll be a time that there'll be a reckoning where through your humility through your hunger he says I'll I'll start moving pieces of the puzzle and I'll help you to see things the way I see them from the cockpit, from the control center. You understand things that you just didn't know. And the other things won't matter as much to you. Whether you get your parking spot or whether they sang the right song at the church house. Or whether the preacher did a good job or didn't do a good job. All of that stuff, that it just becomes, he says, it'll, you'll see things. There'll be a, a difference about you. You'll walk, think, act, talk, different. You'll think about heaven more than you think about earth. How many of y'all know life is short? Yes, it is. It's short. Life is but a vapor. But God wants to bring us into these places that we can experience Him better. But for us, we've got to come humble and come hungry. Let me pray for you.